Scribes Journey is supported by our patrons. Join them today at patreon.com slash scribesjourney. Good evening, everyone. I am Travis J. Crokin, the Calm Scribe. I am LJ Stanton, the Pedantic Scribe. And I am uh, T.R. Alby, the Oddball Scribe. Welcome, Scribes. How is everyone doing tonight? How are you all feeling? Excellent. I think I say that every single time. I'm going to have to now go back and listen to our podcasts and do the, do I say something different? (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing all right. It's another day and another dawn and we're here and ready to roll. So we are here to discuss the concept of character development. So what did everyone think of the book, Characters, Emotions, and Viewpoint by Nancy Kress? So I think it's an excellent book for people who are starting out on their writing journey and developing characters. If this is not something that you find that you have as a strong suit, if your characters always seem to kind of come across as flat or just kind of there and not having a lot of personality, it's a really excellent book to pick up. It makes you consider a lot of different questions and even, you know, choosing whether or not you want to do first person, third person, how you want your narrative to go. It even handles a few concepts like the dead narrative. Uh, You know, if you have a character who dies and you, you want to play around with their perspective still, how do you go about doing that? So there's some really good little tips and tricks in it if you are not really sure where to start on making interesting characters that aren't all just you. (laughs) because most characters are some version or form of us we tend to pull ourselves into our characters as we go ted what did you think of the book i agree and it was for me i remember when i originally bought this like a few years ago it was definitely a good help you know helping develop characters you know rereading it again i realized that it is kind of rudimentary there is a it even has like a character bio thing you can build up but i found so many other things online to help us develop characters yeah the point of view thing was also really good for me at first too because again i had really trouble trying to find that voice of which perspective i wanted to write my characters from and rereading it again you know it at least gave me like a little bit inside that I'm that what I'm trying to do with the stories I'm writing now has come a longer way from where I was and originally read this. So it is a good, definitely a good book for people who are starting out. And I would agree with that. I think it is a great book for beginners, for people that aren't confident to build up a little bit more knowledge base. And that's the thing with a lot of these writing books is I find no matter how long I've been writing, when I go back and I look at these books, there's always something that I pull from it. There's always some little tidbit. There's something that reminds me of something I already knew and I stopped thinking about or I stopped doing, or there's a variety of things that come from reading a book like this. So I'm a big advocate of libraries. I'm a big advocate of little free libraries and things like that. A lot of writing books, especially if you're an experienced writer, I recommend trying to get out of library if you can. Take a look at it, read it, unless it's something that you want to go back and reference and keep on your shelves a lot. But I do think that there is something to be said for reading books like this, even if you are more of an advanced writer or you've got more of a history behind you with your writing. Because sometimes it's just, like I said, a great little reminder as to things that you may have forgotten about. And that is something very difficult, viewpoint. Or as I like to call it, where do you land in the story? From what perspective are you telling the story and where do you land? Because when you're writing a story, it's how close do you zoom in? And from what perspective are you looking at it from? And that can be a really tricky thing. 
stories can be really expansive and you need to have a sort or a set period of time that you're telling these stories in and being able to figure out if you're at ground level 50 feet a thousand feet 10,000 feet will help you pace out and keep your story going further and also help with your character viewpoint one of the things I like um, just with that point that you bring up, Travis, of knowing where you land when you are designing and developing characters. One of the things to keep in mind is even how much fun you have with keeping certain things away from the reader and even away from other characters. There's one character in The Dying Sun that honestly, he is a lot more fun to work with when I'm in a different character's perspective and you're not in his head and you're not seeing his thoughts and you don't get his machinations. So you're at the other person's perspective wondering, what the hell is this guy trying to do? What is he playing at? And you've got all of these questions that had you been in his head, you'd have all of the answers for. Because I do third person perspective, but very intimately close in each per each character. So there isn't a distance if I'm using that character's perspective. So to kind of cheat on that is looking at it through the interactions of other characters with that character. So that's something to keep in mind too, when you are designing your characters, who do you want to have perspectives, even if they aren't necessarily the main character of the story, if they aren't the one having the hero's journey or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that brings up another really good point of when you're building a character, you have to make a 3D character. You have to make a character that the readers are going or the audience is going to give a damn about. And I mean 3D from if you're looking at it, like LJ just said, from their perspective, you get depth. If you're looking at it from another character's perspective, you get another layer of depth. If you look at it from the overall storyline, you kind of get the extra layer of depth for them. It has to be an actual fully built out and fleshed out character that you're going through. And the more you flesh out your characters, the easier it's going to be to write and work with them. So what would we say are the inspirations for characters that we've created? We've all created fun characters. One thing I'm doing is making a list of all the characters I've created and having kind of an encyclopedia of characters and creatures of things I've created because I absolutely love doing it. So how do we all get our inspirations for developing characters? Most of it is really just random. Even the books that I'm currently writing, when I started telling a story for my son, it was just, I was just looking to figure out exactly what characters I'm going to use. And I just randomly chose a mouse and a dragon. I'll be honest, I, it just comes from random places. Not necessarily people that, I, that are in my life, but sometimes they end up taking on attributes of like my father or like my son, the playfulness of my son. You know, I do try to avoid putting parts of myself into characters, even though, you know, it's really hard to do that. Sometimes parts of your heart and soul go into the development and things and attributes of yourself seep into them, which is not a problem as long as you're not developing characters that are exactly like you. You know what I mean? Self-insertion is definitely something you want to generally avoid. But on that tack, self-insertion is not necessarily taking pieces from yourself and, you know, just like trying to avoid that completely. One of my favorite quotes about designing and building a character actually came from Jeremy Irons and talking about how he finds inspiration to do all these different characters, whether it's, you know, voice acting or, you know, a good guy or a very slimy villain or whatever. And he talked about the fact that he looks at himself as if Jeremy Irons is a piano and he might be a certain set of scales. But that doesn't mean that all of the other keys aren't there and that he can go and play in a higher octave or in a lower octave. And it's still going to have flavors of him to it because you can't get out of your own head completely. But it's seeing a different portion of yourself. 
that you might not even be truly aware of until you start kind of poking around in the dark recesses or into the highly virtuous areas of your mind that you don't normally spend tons and tons of time in. Because I definitely know that when I am designing a character, I start to pull from personal experiences that I've had. I pull from musical inspirations and I am absolutely always inspired by other people's characters. For those of you listening to this as the podcast instead of the Twitch stream, you can't see my office, but you are missing the Darth Maul statuette, the Witch King of Angmar with the Fell Beast statuette, and the Mouth of Sauron statuette, which are all pivotally important characters when it came to designing some of my original heroes and antagonists. So... Those are all very good points on that. And that's something that I have to say is very similar to the way I do my character development and design. And to be clear too, when we're talking about self-insertion into character design and things like that, it's not necessarily making all the characters you. But like they say in the book, characters, emotion, and viewpoint, oftentimes a writer will. So if you're having a character that's in a rage-filled situation, then that's an opportunity for you to let your anger out and to have your character react in a way that you would typically react in that kind of situation. But that can make a lot of your characters very similar and kind of one-dimensional and that's where it is important to try to pull from you know I do a lot of people watching I pull from other characters as well things that I like things that I didn't like I really analyze a lot of different things and because of memory issues I've got a program that if I meet someone I can write down who they are and some cursory details about them and some little like even character traits one of the other things that I like to do when I'm developing my characters is to consider what are they there for and what impact do I want them to have on the reader. So I do make an effort of to make them all very fleshed out in 3D. However, there are some characters like Abacus in my story, The Fairman's Wife, who is a complete tertiary character. He doesn't actually have to be in the story. He adds to the story, but he's not an integral part of the story. And his whole thing is to disgust and gross out the reader. That's his whole purpose. I designed this character specifically to mess with the readers. And I've got some other characters that are like that. So there are some characters that are built a certain way by design and for impact. I love those characters. I love it when you know exactly what you're aiming for and then can start looking at, you know, things that when you're designing a character, what makes you feel disgusted by a person? What are the mannerisms of people that, you know, you are repulsed by? What are mannerisms that are generally within your culture looked at as, you know, frowned upon or stigmatized behaviors in a way that when you, you know, if you start pulling at them are going to make it a really easy way for you to tell the reader, hey, this person is a terrible human being. I know for mine, you know, some of the characters that are more deplorable than others in my book, her main issue that you get to see when you are introduced to this woman is how she treats bar staff, how she treats restaurant staff of the she's all schmoozing and nice and polite to the prospective character and then turns around and immediately does the where can I get some food that doesn't taste like shit here? And it's the just this immediate switch where you're like, wow, you are terrible human being. Good to know. And it's just shorthand for you. So I don't have to spend paragraphs upon paragraphs telling you, hey, this person's deplorable. But that's only because I've done enough previous to it with her design to know this is a person who treats waitstaff terribly. And that's part of building your character is finding those sorts of mannerisms and expectations of them. 
how deep do you guys go into the character development before you even start writing? Because I know with myself, I didn't really do a lot of character development. I knew the general idea of who he was and what he was doing and what his occupation was and where I wanted to go with it. But I wrote two picture books and the mid-grade novel that I'm writing. And I'm realizing as I'm going back, I'm like, shit, I don't have that answer. Okay, I really got to go deep into it. I mean, like even deeper, like I should have, but the idea of the story was just there. And I just like, mm, got to get it on the paper. And I didn't do a lot of development on these characters. So I'm kind of backtracking now. And how, how far do you guys go with your characters before you start writing? I go pretty far, depending on the character. If it's a main character or a protagonist, I go really deep into it. I do what I call the CV, the uh, curriculum vitae of the character. I look into their likes, their dislikes, their relationship with their parents, all that kind of stuff. And even if it's not fully in-depth, I kind of flesh out a lot of the details. Secondary characters, I'll do more of a resume of just what are they about. And then if it's a character like Abacus, for example, I'll just go to a bit of a what I call the post-it note, where it's just enough to know about him and who he is and what he does like i was saying for abacus designing him to be a deplorable despicable creature is he's a little winged demon with cracked leathery wings and his name is abacus because he's counting the souls that the ferryman has given to his wife and he uses cracked pus filled fingernails to tear his chest open and the abacus is actually on his rib cage and he knocks the beats across his rib cage Wow. So it really is a disgusting creature. And yeah. that's about as far as I went in for him. But if it's the ferryman or the ferryman's wife or other characters, I tend to go further in depth because the more in depth you go, the easier it is to write the scenes. Because at some point, it's like outlining. And I like the fact that you said that, Ted. Because at some point, you're going to have to go back and do that. You have to add depth to your characters to have a rich story. I am somewhat in the middle between you guys. Uh, and I, I find that kind of funny. I have known some of my characters for I think like 18 years at this point. So before writing The Dying Sun, I didn't really have to flesh out Merrick. I didn't really have to flesh out Lorelei because it's the, these characters have been with me in one way or another for a significant chunk of my life. I just, I know who they are. I know how they react to situations. So what I ended up doing for them as main characters was, okay, if I'm putting them into a new book into a new situation, what are three main life events that happen to them that are important that the reader needs to know about and I need to know about to make sure that there is a continuity with this character. So I needed to know about the traumatic childhood that Merrick had. I needed to know about the whipping that happens that gives him the impetus to kill his dad and take the throne. I needed to know these things about him because that then tells you and informs you of how he is going to interact as a husband, as a future father, and those kinds of things. If I hadn't known those specific events going into writing a story that somewhat revolves around him getting married and whatnot, that would all have been a lot less rich. And I wouldn't have his fears, I wouldn't have his hopes, and any of those kinds of things. And I love that we've talked about outlining for this because it it really is a lot like making sure you kind of have a roadmap of knowing where you're starting from so that you know where you can branch off to believably with these characters. And that's the exciting part of it is your characters become real living people. And like Al just alluded to, we need to be able to know who they are, where they're coming from, and where they're going to go. Well, let's get into that in just a moment. I think for right now, we're going to pause for our book of the month. 
So instead of a book of a month this month, and since the next podcast we're going to be doing is based on world building, our suggestion is to go someplace like World Anvil or Campfire and look at what's involved in building a world. Take your time to hash out at least part of it. There's so many different aspects of both of these websites and you know, try and do some world building. Very sage advice. So there are things that we have to consider when we're developing characters. For me, two big things we have to bear in mind. Where is the character coming from and where are they going? Because in any story, your character has a character arc and they need to be different at the end than they were from the beginning. And you need to have things that happen to bring them to that point near the end. So you kind of need to know who they are and who they're going to turn into, or at least have an idea of who you want them to turn into. Well, when you're looking at trying to figure out where your characters are coming from, it's important to have a sheet of some kind where you have figured out who they are. You know, if you're designing a character, you're saying something like, I want to have a hero with a tragic past for my protagonist. And that is the kind of roadmap that you're working on. Developing a character in this sense is the putting some flesh on those bones of that kind of archetype that you're playing around with. One of the ways I have done it is using different types of character sheets. I'm sure for a lot of people that comes to mind, you know, D&D style character sheets, which can be hugely helpful if you go and download a character sheet like that and fill it out, not necessarily knowing what spells your mage is going to cast, but knowing their name, their height, their physical description, their past, their personality, you know, those sorts of things that you can just pick out a, huh, this character has to go on a ferry. Are they afraid of water? Do they get seasick? What happens when you put them on that ferry? That is just beyond the, well, they walked on, everything was fine, and then that's it. It's so much more interesting if you know that they get seasick, so they really don't want to get on that ferry because they're going to throw up. I absolutely agree with that. When I originally developed the character, I had like a basic sheet, right? Like uh, LG was saying. And then I kind of expanded that sheet when I realized that I needed more information. And then when I was talking with my artist, she was like, well, how do they feel in this situation? I was like, you know, I never really asked myself that question. So I actually went out and found the conversation with your character. And it had a bunch of questions. Just, you know, I knew that his parents had died tragically somehow, but I never thought, well, does he have siblings? So, you know, running some of these questions, I realized, well, it might be fun. Maybe he's the middle child or the youngest, and he has two other you know, older siblings. They were all orphans at the time, but this conversation sheet asks a ton of questions about their life, about the past, about their history, kind of like you're interviewing. So I'm still learning. Obviously, I'm just evolving. And after going through and doing this after the fact that with this new series, I'm going to try to do as much as I can with the main characters and try to get them as fleshed out as I can. So I don't have to backtrack like I had to. But it's not always a bad thing. I mean, backtracking, revising, it's all things that right. we need to do and figure this stuff out. But the other aspect that I was thinking that is when you're developing the characters, you also need to consider the conflict. So generally, a conflict in a story is their internal wants or needs versus their external wants. And you want to be able to have that set up as well, because that's going to be the two things that are driving against each other. I use romance a lot in this, where you've got the high-powered person who is a lawyer and climbing through the ranks and going to become partner. They don't have time for love, but there is that need of having someone close to them and and then that thing comes up to they have an opportunity of finding love and they also have the opportunity of getting their dream job. Those things are now in conflict and that's where the tension comes in. What are they going to do? And another big part of that is their internal flawed thinking. What are their thoughts that interfere with things that I can't find love because I'm a terrible human being and no one's going to like me? So those are things we need to take into account as well. But the character sheets are fantastic. 
you know, some of the other things that I actually used to, like I started doing the Myers-Briggs personality test. I put my characters through this and found out that my main protagonist and my main antagonist both have the same personality type. They're just on the opposite ends of the spectrum. There is also a psychopath test you could find, you know, the dark triad test, which is something I put my villain through. Turns out he's not a psychopath. He's something else. So those are were fun to do. And I kind of added that also to the list of things to that I've had, you know. Yeah, I absolutely love going on phobia websites, especially random phobias, and just seeing what things I can throw at them. Sometimes it doesn't resonate at all with character, in which case I toss it away. But there are other times when Providence just is there and you get a highly fitting phobia to throw at your character. And whether or not you take on the full phobia for your character, whether or not they just get a little part of that fear, it can be really interesting to just kind of feel how those characters react to it. Just knowing those little quirky things helps you so much later on. Just to, to learn how to be comfortable in that character's head. And it's not crazy to have conversations with your characters. I do all the time. I talk to my characters often. If I'm about to sit down and start talking or start writing, I will actually go and check in with them because I may have a scene written out a certain way that this is what I'm going to do. And then I go in and I check in, you know, with my character Preston, and it turns out that he's having a crappy day. And that's not how the scene is going to go. It is going to go entirely different. And sometimes that makes the book all that much better. So to sit down and chat with your characters, get to know them, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's not crazy. You are not going crazy if you can feel your character in your head. Because I know I do the same thing as Travis. If I am going to be working with a particular character, I usually put on a playlist on Spotify of music that they like. And it has to be something that at least I can tolerate. But it's music that I can help get into the correct emotional space with them and connect better with them. And it is something that just, it helps a lot if you're willing to talk to them. Sometimes they don't cooperate. As you know, Travis just said, they might change the scene entirely. Since I've talked about Merrick and whatnot, he's, again, a commitment phobe in his personal life. So when I had to write this scene of him going and getting married and having his bachelor party and all of that kind of stuff, it felt like pulling teeth to get this character to sit the fuck down with me and work because he just turned into a toddler and did the, no, I don't do that. Door is closed. I say, no, sir, I'm going to have to make you do this. But, you know, if there's too much of that, if you're finding your character not really, truly not cooperating with you and it's not making the story better, then it's time to even reevaluate your scene because maybe your scene and the situation you're putting your character into isn't one that is authentic to them either and is something that shouldn't necessarily be in your story. Good point. How about you, Ted? How often do you chat with your characters? Mm, I have enough voices in my head, um, but no, I'm kidding. You know, I I don't really chat with my characters that way. I guess I know the direction they want to go. And generally, they kind of listen. I mean, if I do find that they are, are going off in a path I don't want to, I know it's me. So maybe that's not the right day to kind of write that type of scene. You know, if you're going to write a bloody battle scene where everybody's dying and you just had a really great day or a really nice dinner with your wife and you're really super happy, you, you might not want to 
be in the spot to write that scene where everybody's dying and everybody's miserable, right? So this confuses me. I don't know. Much. I'm just saying. <laughs> like sometimes, sometimes I find that if I'm not in the mood to write that type of thing, because I, I don't know. If I'm grumpy, then yes, let's get into a battle because I will go. I will go toe to toe. But we no, can't just, force anything that my emotions don't want me to do. That's just crazy for me because it's like, no, no, no. If I'm feeling really happy, this is a wonderful time sometimes to go and pull out that like crazy sociopathic character of mine and let's go and have that gory, awful battle that I've been putting off actually writing for the past three weeks. Well, Especially if that well. character is going to enjoy that battle because there's- And she does. <laughs> right? You've got that energy and the oomph behind it. Well, we, we did we did identify that your personality type is also the personality type of my villain as well. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's so good. You know, it all works. It's, it's there. <laughs> Takes all kinds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I just, I've never really understood the term of like having conversations with them. Generally, like I don't just sit down and ask them questions in my head. But yeah, like I always find that it's whatever my emotional capacity is at that point in time when I'm trying to write the scene, if they're not playing well, because I'm not in, in that mindset. So I might put that down and I might go to something else that might be a little bit lighthearted if I'm in a better mood or write a different scene. Or maybe just write a whole brand new book. Why not? Right. Well, so. here's a little quick little test. Pull up uh -oh. Ichabod in your head. I'm not a good at tests. <laughs> but pull up Ichabod in your head. What you know about him, how he acts, what he does, how he does things. And a gerbil rolling by in a cart rolls over the tip of his tail with a wagon wheel. How is he going to react? What does Ichabod say in that situation? Don't think of it for yourself. Let Ichabod tell you what he's going to say. Yeah, but that's not really having a conversation. I've always thought people were just talking to themselves. No, I'm kidding. No, uh, <laughs> no I get it. I get it putting in certain situations. But generally when I'm doing that, I'm, I'm in the middle of like uh, writing the scene and saying, okay, you know, well, I know that you're going to be angry that this thing's going to roll over his tail, but will he go and then stick a piece of dynamite in the thing and light it on a fire? No, probably not. I mean, maybe I just don't understand the terminology as well. Or maybe I'm just doing it and I just had no idea. So that's, <laughs> a, that's the other thing. So I think you're probably just doing it and not necessarily thinking about it. Because I know for sure, like I'm not, I don't tend to sit there and have an, an active back and forth conversation with my character. It's much more on an emotional kind of level. Like if yeah. I am writing a scene that is inauthentic to that character, the character becomes so obstinately stubborn and unpleasant in my head that it becomes too difficult to work on that scene. And it becomes a case of like, okay, well, what do I need to pick at to find out why this is inauthentic? Why perhaps this makes the character uncomfortable? Because even then, if I can realize that, oh, maybe it's because of XYZ thing that happened in their past, I can then manipulate the scene to get my character to actually cooperate and work with me instead of just kind of sitting there having a toddler temper tantrum in my head. Um, <laughs> so, but I think everybody probably has it slightly differently and it's about finding the right comfortable place for you and your characters to be able to work together. Since I've heard that's important collaborating <laughs> with them. <laughs> exactly. But I think that's the thing is everybody has their own methods of going about doing it and how they interact with the characters. And what, but in kind of a synopsis, when you're designing characters, that's what you need to look at is who are they? Where are they coming from? 
where are they going and do a character sheet spend some time building it out thinking about it because the more time you spend building a character up front the easier it is going to be to write these scenes and you do need to take into account what are their relationships like it sounds funny to say what is their relationship like with their parents but that's going to factor in of how they deal with other people the one thing i will say is be very careful modeling a character off of a real human being because that can come back and bite you if you're not careful if you clearly mimic someone and they can look at the book and say, that's me, and they've got evidence of saying, that's me, there's a reason why books say all of these characters are based off of fic fictional people and not built off of anyone from reality. Not being sued is always a very good thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if your villain is a caricature that is still very obviously pulling from someone in your life that you don't like very much, but still might read your book, going to make your life a lot harder in the long run if they can call you out saying excuse me did you just write me in here to kill me horribly <laughs> hell's wrong with you so <laughs> just tell them you had the conversation with a character and that was it it had to happen it was the voices in my head you know that's all that's good <laughs> the voices in my head exactly. said you needed to die and they and they would just back off and leave you alone for that i mean that's what it comes down to <laughs> so when you are writing characters be careful you're not going to get hit with libel LJ, do you want to give us our homework? Yeah. So it is all about world building next episode. We have all done a ton of world building for our various stories. And it's your turn to try it out a little bit before you get our tips and tricks on how to do it most effectively. So go to World Anvil, go to Campfire, or just open up a blank document if that's going to work for you and start thinking about building a world. What are the things you need to do to make something that you can build a sandbox out of and write a book in? And very important homework because world building is such an expansive topic. We could easily do an entire season or two just on world building. So this one I do highly recommend going and digging around to see what is involved in world building. So with that, I'd like to say thank you to my fellow scribes for joining me tonight. And now, go sharpen your quills and get back to writing. This episode of Scribe's Journey has been presented by Wax Seal Productions Incorporated and remixed by T.R. Alder.